Thank you for joining us here at Brave Church. We hope our teaching inspires you. For more information about gathering times, events, and other resources, visit brave.church. Here's this week's talk. As you know, our nation was rocked this week with uh, all week long. We've seen uh, images, uh, video footage all week long of the Las Vegas tragedy, the worst mass shooting in modern U.S. history. And uh, our thoughts and our prayers are with them and all the families and all the people that have been impacted. And I'm feeling um, uh, a lot like I'm sure a lot of Americans are feeling. And it just feels like lately one tragedy right after the next. Um, There are two broad categories of evil. There's moral evil. That's performed by human beings. Moral evil is performed by human beings. There's natural evil. Uh, disasters like you know hurricanes, floods, earthquakes, as well as all forms of many forms of disease. Uh, during tragic times like this, there's inevitably a mad scramble for clarity. How could this happen? Why would uh, a good and loving God let this happen? Who's to blame for this horrific violence that's really being unleashed on our nation and our world? The problem is, is that shallow cliches fall short and ultimately clarity never comes because at best we see through a glass dimly. Life is full of losses. When pain and suffering come upon us, we see not only that we're not in control of our lives or our future, but that we never really were. And part of the human condition is that we're, we're touched by grief and loss. You can lose your finances. The stock market can drop or crash. You're, you can lose a job unexpectedly. Your health changes dramatically. Your marriage, you thought you had something and you have something very different. Divorce is, is an all too common source of just unimaginable human suffering. And we know that we eventually will all lose loved ones that we care deeply about. Uh, but you may not be in a season of loss right now but our nation is. And so today I want to talk about how to find hope even when it hurts. Our ushers have programs on the side. If anybody needs ones, if you want to follow along and take notes, this will help you. It'll help your family and those that you care about. Life is not an endless, you know, it's not an endless fairy tale where we just live happily ever after. That's called heaven. And the Bible speaks honestly to us when it says in Ecclesiastes 8 verse 14, Sometimes something useless happens on earth. Bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. The first thing that we need to understand is we don't always get what we deserve in life. We have this myth, I think, in the back of our minds that all the bad things that happen to us occur because we're bad. And then all the good things that happen to us occur because we're good. And neither of those things are true. When good things happen to you in life, that's just called grace, undeserved favor. But when bad things happen to you in life, that's called life. That's called a fallen world. Life is unfair. We do not live in a perfect world. Things don't uh, always go as planned down here. There's a story in Luke chapter 13 where Jesus is talking to a group of people and they just heard of a natural tragedy, just like Houston or Florida or the coal miners in Chile a number of years ago. And Jesus asked the people, have you heard about the Tower of Siloam that collapsed, killing 18 innocent people? 
Again, when bad things happen, we tend to want to try to figure out why. And Jesus asks a rhetorical question to that group of people. Do you think it was because uh, that they had sin in their life? Because they were guilty of something, and that's why something bad happened to them. And then Jesus answers a very definite no. God says no. When something bad happens to us, that is outside of our control, like a hurricane, an earthquake, or a mass shooting, it's not because we're bad or we deserved punishment. Sometimes in life, you're going to be an innocent victim. And what happened in Las Vegas ultimately impacted not just the 59 and not just the over 500, but really thousands of victims came out of that, family members and friends who lost loved ones. Sometimes in life we are hurt even when we are innocent and don't deserve it. And sometimes in life we have losses that are horribly unexplainable. And we must learn to discern that not everything that happens in this world is God's will. Every time there's a natural disaster, an earthquake, uh, some senseless tragedy, somebody somewhere will say something stupid like, well, it must have been God's will, or God is judging America. That's just not true. God is not cruel. God is not cruel. God is not the author of evil, anything evil. Don't blame God for the bad things in life. In fact, God is the only one, think about this, that has literally launched a worldwide global campaign to save the entire world from evil. That's his master plan. Where was God last Sunday night when those precious people lost their lives? God was where he was when his son died. He was with each one of them, grieving over how evil, how cruel humanity has become to one another. Someone once said that when God is quiet, he's sad too. And because God is just, he will not allow innocent people to be hurt without one day bringing evil into judgment. They're not getting away with it. No one gets away with evil. One day, all evil will be punished. God gave us the freedom to choose to love or to hate, and many people choose to go their own way, don't they? And whenever that happens, good people inevitably get hurt. God has never allowed one child to starve. Why all the starving children? God doesn't allow children to starve on planet Earth. We allow children to starve. We could solve that. We could organize worldwide. We could stop world hunger. We have the resources. God's given us the resources of this world and this planet. There's never been a reason why a child should starve on this planet. God doesn't let children starve. We do. Our politics, our division, our nation building, and all the different things that we do, we allow people to go hungry and starve. Our greed allows people to go hungry and starve. It's our choices that allow other people to die prematurely. God, on the other hand, provides a heaven-free pain that when a child does unjustly die of starvation, you know what God does? Is he welcomes that child into heaven for all of eternity. God responds with great love and compassion to every need. And when we let them die without human aid, God gives them life. God's will is not always done on earth as it is in heaven. That's why Jesus taught us to pray. What's the most famous prayer of all that Jesus taught us? Father, 
Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why did Jesus tell us, teach us to pray, Father, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Because God's will is not always done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not my job here to try to explain why all the various tragedies of life or all of the disasters or all of the losses, I can't. Some things we're just not going to understand until we get to heaven. And it's during times like this that that we think what we need is clarity. Why did this happen? We, we need to understand this. We've got to investigate this. We need clarity. What we really need is certainty. What I mean is I am certain that this senseless act last Sunday night breaks the heart of God. I'm certain that God understands what it means to lose a loved one. I'm certain that every one of the victims in Las Vegas are precious to God. I'm certain that God is near to the brokenhearted. I'm certain that no life is ever devoid of meaning, no matter how short. And I'm certain that life is precious and that every day with your family and your friends is a gift from God. And I'm certain that America needs to rediscover a reverence for life. And I'm certain that a day is coming when suffering will cease and God will reign. And I'm certain that when anyone closes their eyes here for the last time on earth and wakes up in the arms of Jesus that they are more alive than they've ever been. The Bible can give us hope today and teach us how to handle the losses of life. When you lose a job, when you lose your finances, when you lose a loved one, when you lose your health, when you lose a marriage or are losing a marriage and all the other losses of life, There are many things happening to people right now here in our own community, here in our own church family. So how do we get through the losses in our lives? Because we will face them. How do we find hope even when it hurts? Would you write this down in your your notes? Number one, first of all, go ahead and let yourself grieve. Don't become insensitive to pain. Let yourself grieve. Pain and tragedy always produces strong emotions and feelings of loss, of anger, of of fear, depression, of worry, and sometimes even guilt. I listened to one's, one of the stage crew who said, man, I just, I just wish I could have done more. Th- those feelings of pain are scary to us. We have feelings that, that bubble up within us seemingly out of nowhere sometimes. Some of you have never felt grief in your life. Because you're stuffers, you, you've, you just kind of push it down and keep going. Like there's something really strong about doing that. That's the weakest response to pain and loss is to stuff and keep going. That's the weakest response. That's the most unhealthy response to loss. It's way more healthy to feel the pain of that moment, to not pretend that it's not there, to not act like it doesn't exist. That's why 30 years later, people will still be struggling with emotional stress and trauma in their life of something that happened so many years ago because they didn't grieve so many years ago. A partner, a parent, a a friend, someone who betrayed you or hurt you, and you've just held on to it for 30 years. Moving on like that is not moving on. You never left it. You never grieved it. There's a myth that says God wants us to walk around with a smile on our face all of the time and that God, you know, expects me to always say the perfect thing no matter what. You know, when I, when something really bad happens to me, then as a Christian, I'm duty bound to say something really cool and cliche, right? 
Some Christians have this idea that, you know, I should never be sad. I should never grieve. I should never hurt. Although there's a whole book called Lamentations. There's a whining prophet called Jeremiah that was weeping all the time. And there's David who's complaining and mourning and journaling and saying all kinds of things that I don't even think should be in the Bible. Right? No matter what happens to me, I just need to say, praise the Lord. You know, whether my parent gets, you know, Alzheimer or a child gets cancer or a husband or wife gets laid off work or, you know, let's just walk around with a big, huge smile on our face like it's no big deal and we're not grieving our losses because guess what? God is on the throne. Everything's going to be okay. Did you know that Jesus taught us the exact opposite? In Matthew 5, he says this, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. There's a blessing. There's a happiness in mourning. There's a release that took place that God created us as emotional human beings to experience the grief of loss. It's okay to grieve. Jesus says, happy are those who mourn, for they will actually be comforted. Those who do not mourn, they're not what? They're not comforted. When a loved one dies, and they go on to heaven, we're not grieving for their sake, we're grieving for our sake, right? We're going to miss them. What do you do with your feelings? Release your grief. Go ahead and mourn. Don't repress it. Don't stuff it. Don't try to look good. Cry out to God. Tell God it hurts. Tell God I'm hurting. Tell God I'm grieving. This is a, this is a tough one, God. It really is. It hurts. If you want a good example of this, just read the book of Psalms and David, how he would just pour out his heart to God. I'm really, really hurting God. In Psalm 62, verse 8, David says, pour out your heart to God, for he is our refuge. So I've got to say it. I've got to say it out loud when I feel it. I've got to, I've got to cry. I've got to say what I'm feeling. I'm not stuffing what I'm feeling. I'm saying, God, I need you. He says this in Psalm 34, verse 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Those of you who are going through a loss right now, if you don't grieve, if you don't let it out, eventually it'll come up somewhere in your life because feelings that are pushed down, they fester under the surface and eventually they explode in the most weird, random places in our lives. Whatever your disappointments, your regrets in life, you've got to grieve those things. Number two, write this down. Receive comfort from those who are near you. This is often difficult for many of us to do, to receive from other people. Galatians 6, verse 2, it says, carry each other's burdens. The New Century Version says, by helping each other with your troubles, you obey Christ. Have you noticed that you have some friends that are good at carrying burdens with you and others don't want to? Have you noticed that? Like Tracy and I, we have friends like, you know, really, we need to not, we need to back off and not tell them everything we're going through. Because obviously they just kind of shut down and they just want to talk about the sky is blue and everything's great or whatever. And you just realize that some people have more of an emotional maturity and capacity for carrying one another's burdens. Jesus in you has a capacity that he wants to grow and develop where you can care for one another. It is a human tendency when you're hurt, when you've had a loss, when you've gone through a a difficult time to want to pull back, to isolate. You know, I I just found out something about my husband or my wife or, or my family or this situation at work. I can't go to church. Oh, 
That doesn't even make logical sense to any of us. To isolate, to withdraw when you're in pain, to move into a shell, to build up a wall, to, to, to miss that corporate worship of God's people that we so desperately need. We want to pull everything in close and we just want to say, I don't want to be around people right now. I'm hurting too much right now. That's exactly the opposite of what you need. When you're going through a disappointment and loss, you, you, not, you need not only the support of one another, but you also need one another to bring perspective. You need to hear from your friends and other people. They'll bring perspective to your pain and your situation. When you're in pain, you don't see the whole picture because your pain blurs your vision. You're crying so much you can't even see straight. You can't feel straight. And you need others to help you. We need each other to comfort one another. This is one of the reasons that God created the church. The church is amazing. There's no other organization on the planet like the church, the community of God's people. You just will not find this level of love and care anywhere else. You say, well, what what do you mean by that? I haven't experienced that. Well, then you haven't gotten involved. You haven't fully dove into what's really here for you. The reason we talk about home churches all the time, every chance I get, I talk about them. Have you noticed that? It's because it's a giving of your gift to your life to other people and them giving to you. It's not just about going to home church of what I'm going to get and receive, although you will. It's about your life experience and what you can share with other people. Going to a home church is completely unselfish. You need one another. Going through the growth track and meeting other people and finding ways to connect and developing relationships and bridges. One of the saddest calls we get around the office when somebody calls and says, I need help moving. Can you get somebody over here to help me move? And we say, well, who's your home church? Oh, I don't go to home church. How long have you been going to our church? For two years. Do you have any friends? No, I don't really know anybody. How sad is that? Build relational bridges and investments into one another. The Lord says, look after each other so that not one of you will fail to find God's blessing in your life. When you're experiencing pain or loss, you need to grieve, whatever that is. You need to feel it. You need to receive comfort from other people. And by the way, you can't receive comfort from other people unless you share with them what's going on. Stuffing is not sharing. Number three, refuse to become bitter. Bitterness always makes everything worse. Job in one day lost his, his, uh, his health, his children, his home, his business, everything. And of all people, who anybody who had a reason to become bitter, it was overwhelming to lose everything in one day. Job doesn't. In fact, he says this in Job 21, verse 25. Some people have no happiness at all. This is what Job says. They live and die with bitter hearts. You're going to have to decide in your life whether you want to be bitter or happy. But you can't be both. Have you ever seen somebody, how miserable they are, when over here they're trying to act all happy and blah, 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 and they're like the life of the party, and then over here they're bitter and spewing out all this gossip and all these things about people and saying they're critical and all that? You can't be both. You can't be bitter and happy. When bitterness is in your heart, happiness just walks out the door. When you kick bitterness out of your heart, then happiness comes back in. But when you invite happiness back into the front door, when happiness comes into the front door of your heart, bitterness walks out the back door. They can't both live in the same house. 
You say, well, I know people that are trying. I know. They're miserable. You need to decide, do I want to be a happy person or a bitter person? Do I want to be an unforgiving person or a forgiving person? Do I want to be a critical person or do I want to be a constructive and helpful person? In every situation, you've got to decide, am I going to be bitter or happy? It's your choice. There's absolutely no correlation between your happiness and your circumstances. We've all seen people who are in terribly depressed situation, raised in a really rough area or with no mom or no dad. Or I, The neighborhood that I grew up around the block, there was this family of four kids that grew up with, with a mom and, and no, no father, and, and they had all kinds of drama and all kinds of things going on. And I will never forget the, the buddy that was my friend in that family. He just like amazed me. He just, he just rose above it all. He just consistently made better choices than everybody else in the family. I don't know why he did, but he did. He just made better choices. So I've seen people choose happiness over bitterness. I'm going to do something with my life. I'm going to make my life count. Hey, you know what? Rain falls on the just or the unjust. We're not promised tomorrow. We all have a sad story. We all have pain in our life, but I'm going to choose to be happy. And then you go and you find other people who have experienced almost no pain and no suffering, right? They can't relate to what it's like going through a divorce, so they judge divorced people. They can't relate what, what, what it's like to having this or that or anything going wrong in their life. And they have one little thing. One little thing goes wrong in their life, and they are the biggest whiny babies, right? They're just the biggest whiny babies, other people, man, they have major stuff going on in their life. And you know what? They never miss a beat. Just positive. It's genuine. It's real. They're not faking it. It's like, hey, I get this. I'm just going to choose happiness. I'm going to choose Jesus. Yeah, I'm going to cry. I'm going to go into the fetal position in my bathroom when I need to. You know, when I look at the weigh scale or whatever it is that I'm dealing with, you know, that day, you know, uh, but I'm going to keep going. Other per people in life, you know, some little thing, oh, life stinks. It's terrible. My life is over. They watch the news all day long. They complain all day long. That is a miserable way to live. You are as happy as you choose to be. My father at age 27 was crippled with rheumatoid arthritis. He's had 21 major surgeries. Some of the bones in his body have literally disintegrated over time. In fact, uh, in one of his legs, he actually has a femur bone from another individual because that bone completely deteriorated. After 53 years of suffering, he has the greatest outlook on the planet. He has a, a great sense of humor. He's, he's like a cartoon character. Just talk to him next time you find him around here. He's amazing. I don't know all of your problems, but I do know this. Not in all cases, but in most cases, there are other people who would love to have your size problem. What I mean by this is, oh, we live in such an expensive area and you don't know my house, Bill. I know a lot of people that like to have a house. I know a lot of people that would love to live in this valley. We're worried about our kids, you know, are they going to get A's and B's or what prep college, what college are they going to go to and do they have 4.50's or whatever? And there's other people in the world that have kids that they're just hoping they make it the next 10 days because they're starving right now. I just hope my child makes it the next week. It's like the old phrase, I complained I had no shoes until I met a man who had no legs. 
It's always a matter of perspective. Bitterness can cause you to become so self-centered you forget how much good there really is in the world. Every day, all week long, we've been hearing amazing stories of how strangers in Las Vegas on that horrific night gave their lives for strangers. They gave their lives for strangers. They risked their lives to help people last Sunday night. The good of humanity. Where does goodness come from? God says it comes from God. Goodness comes from God. Where was God? He was there. Goodness being shown through other people. Becoming bitter over any form of suffering and pain never changes anything. It only makes you miserable. Hebrews 12, verse 15. Watch out that no bitterness takes root among you. It causes deep trouble, hurting many in their spiritual lives. When a morally evil event occurs, we ask, why did God allow it as if he did it? When we all know good and well, God didn't do it. An evil person did it. On the 32nd floor, an evil man did it. Insurance policies call hurricanes, floods, earthquakes, disasters, they call them acts of God. That's what the world thinks of as acts of God. Let me tell you what an act of God is to me. An act of God is when a baby has been born. That's a miracle. Like we can't create babies. Only God can create a baby. A baby's a miracle. When an orphan is adopted, that's an act of God. People don't just people just aren't that unselfish. That's an act of God when someone says, I will adopt an orphan. That is so like the heart of God to adopt an orphan. When a marriage is being put back together, when a hurt is being healed, when a body is being restored, when somebody who's been addicted to something all their life gets set free, that's an act of God. It's an act of mercy. People do not understand what faith is. A lot of people think, you know, faith is ignoring reality, pretending like something, you know, isn't really that bad. For instance, if somebody in your family gets cancer and you say, no, he doesn't have cancer, that's not faith. That's pretending. That's called denial. If you get laid off, you know, on your job and you lose all your income and you have no promise of where to get any money for the next week and you're going around going, yeah, everything's just fine, that's not faith. That's denial. If you have a disease and you say, I'm not sick, that's not faith. In Jesus' day, a blind man was a blind man. They were actually blind. The lame man was a lame man. He was actually lame. The woman who spent all of her money on doctors actually spent all of her money on doctors and then touched Jesus' garment, and then she was actually healed. You have to be sick before you can get healed. You have to first acknowledge the need exists to be healed. Faith is not denying reality. Lazarus was dead. He stinketh. (laughs) He, He was actually declared dead so that Jesus could raise him from the dead. Write this in your notes. Put it on your refrigerator. Faith is refusing to be discouraged in the face of your reality. Faith is refusing to be discouraged in the face of your reality. Faith is not pretending. 
you don't have a problem. It's facing the fact that you do. It's refusing to be discouraged in spite of your reality. That's what real faith is. And as you grow in what it means to follow Jesus, and as you grow into emotional maturity, one of the marks of emotional maturity is you begin to realize that most of life is beyond your control. In fact, the most important things in your life are beyond your control. Every Christian parent wants their kids to know Jesus Christ, to grow up and live a a God-honoring life. You can do all you want to, but you can't control that. They have a free will, just like you had a free will. And the most important things in life are beyond your control. Sometimes the only way you can manage an unmanageable situation is through surrender. Lord, help me to accept the things that can't be changed, to change the things that can be changed and the wisdom to know the difference. Choose to focus on God's goodness. Some of you, maybe you walked in here discouraged or or you've had a touch of pain in your life, some discouragement, some depression, some loneliness, some disappointment, or you're, you're worried about a problem or a particular situation that just keeps going over and over again. The cure for discouragement is gratitude. It's changing your perspective, making a list of the hundreds of great things that are happening in your life, that are good in your life. Number four, remember what's important. Loss, tragedy, mistakes, failures, they have a way of putting everything into perspective, don't they? In Luke 12, verse 15, Jesus says, life is not measured by how much one owns. Don't confuse your net worth with your self-worth. Don't confuse your possessions with your position and purpose in Jesus Christ. Don't confuse what you're living on with what you're living for. There's a big difference In a season of loss, we all need to clarify our values and remember what's really important. Don't lose your joy over things that are unimportant today. The greatest things in life aren't things. What really matters are our relationships with people. In 1 Timothy 6, verse 7, it says, We brought nothing into the world, and we we can take nothing out of it. For real security, you have to build your life on something that can't be taken from you. A job can be taken from you. There's no such thing as job security. Your health can be taken from you. You can lose your health. You can lose the person that you're married to. You can lose your youthful beauty. Just look around. (laughs) You can't build your life on something that's not going to last. For ultimate security, you've got to build on something that cannot be taken away from you. There's only one thing that can never be taken away from you, your relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. That's eternity. That's an eternal relationship. That's an eternal security in that relationship with him. Put your trust into something that can't be taken away. I, you know, I can sense the pain in some of your lives. I really can. And I want you to know that God cares. God cares about the thing that you're not sharing with anyone. The Bible says that he has seen everything that's ever taken place in your life, and he hurts with you. 
He's with you in that place. That what if place, that fear, that that unknown, that uncertainty that you're going through, the thing that you, you don't want to burden your spouse with or others with. Some things that have happened in life we're never going to get an explanation for. We have a choice. When, when people make bad choices, sometimes innocent people get hurt. Re- release your grief. I think sometimes in church life we do a great disservice because everything's got to begin up and then end up. And we actually, the one place where you probably, it should be okay for you to grieve and let some things go, I think you need to be able to do that here. You need to be able to receive comfort from other people, but that's going to mean you're going to have to tell somebody. You're going to have to share what's really going on If you just fake it the whole time you're here and then move away or leave or do whatever you're going to do and you just fake it, you've you've only hurt yourself. We need to refuse to become bitter. You need to first acknowledge and quit being in denial that you are a bitter person. It just comes out. You're just critical. And it's because you're hurt and you've never gone back to the issue. Well, it happened so long ago. Well, then why are you thinking about it right now? We have to remember what's important. And lastly, I want to end with this last point. In a few moments, we're going to worship. And and this song is called, Even When It Hurts. And the lyrics, there's a prayer. It's a prayer to God. It's a declaration. Take this fainted heart. Take these tainted hands. Wash me in your love. Come like grace again. Even when my strength is lost, I'll praise you. Even when I have no song, I'll praise you. Even when it's hard to find the words, louder than I'll sing your praise. Point number five there in your notes, last one. Even when, sing praise. For some of you, as we sing this song of worship, it's going to be a moment of grieving. It may even be unexpected. And I don't, the grieving may not have anything to do with anything this week. It may be a lifetime. It may be a decade ago. I don't know. It may be very fresh. It may be, I, I don't know. But you need this moment. When you finally let yourself feel some things, For others, this is a moment of prayer where you're going to be praying for family or friends or loved ones, people that you know, people that you care about, people that you just feel a new level of empathy for what their life must be like, and you feel this moment as you worship. For some, it may be a moment of revelation where you begin to see God for who he is and how really, really loving, how really God is the only one that's working for a worldwide solution. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Would you stand and let's worship in this song and then in a few moments we're going to pray together.